of the church, of the church. and it's uh, such an important thing that we understand how vital it is that uh, we are all intricate in the part or in a, it's a part of the church. And please, I pray that you would allow the Word of God to uh, have its will and way in your heart this morning. And I pray that you, as we, as we look at the text, this is a very loving text, a very, very loving text. Now, Paul really endears to the heart of each and every single one who is part of the church. And may we truly be mindful this morning God gives us in the local church. Notice what the Bible tells us in verse number 14, please. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were in hearing, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor Schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to bless as we get into Scripture this morning. God, I thank you so much for the church. I thank you so much for the body of Christ. God, what a joy it is to see how you intricately and wonderfully and perfectly fit the church together. And God, your design is flawless. You are perfect in every way. And God, I'm thankful that you have designed the church. You have designed the church truly to be a body, a unified body that reaches forward with the purpose of furthering the gospel of Christ. God, I pray that you would never for, help us or help us to never forget that very thing, that the context, that the very theme and the heart of the church is to further you, is to further the name of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us, please, to put all the gifts, all the parts of the body in that very context. We are to go forward in Christ. And God, I pray that you, please, would now bless, give wisdom, give power to you, uh, through your word now this morning help i pray this feeble voice to speak your word of truth in jesus name amen you may be seated this morning i love what the bible teaches us in verse number 14 in our scripture text this morning notice how paul puts it once again for the body is not one member but many there are many parts to the human body we that a little bit last week if i can recall your minds once again 
to those 30 trillion estimated cells. Some of us have more. Some are still growing into those 30 trillion cells. Amen. And uh, some may be pushing 40. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, we all have are intricately made with many, many cells. And it's incredible. All the different parts that come together for our human body. You know, it's incredible as we think and as we uh, begin to contemplate the complexity that our body has been given. I remember about a year and a half ago when I went to the A&E with my uh, golf still wondering what was going on, what was the extreme pain that was, being go- uh, that was taking place. It always happened seemingly in the middle of the night. I remember going in and uh, A&E would begin looking and begin test, you know, doing a few physical tests that they could to try to diagnose whether it was appendix or other uh, or something else that was going on. And the general practitioner there, the trauma nurse and the trauma staff there were, of course, looking and trying to decipher what was going on. And then once they had a thought, they thought in a general way, they knew what it could be. They sent me to have, of course, further scans to be done in order to be diagnosed or to find if that was exactly the cause, exactly what was happening. Was it the gallbladder? Was it, uh, was it gallstones? And they began looking and searching and then Upon the scan, and it looked like that could be, they sent that scan to a specialist. I saw a general trauma nurse or doctor. He knew a little bit about the body, but then it began to be honed in a little further to a man who specialized in just the digestion, the digestion health and that area of the body. And as that specialist began to look at the scans and all the test results that came back, he was able to give a specific diagnosis. Why? Because he was specialized in that area. There are doctors that look and specialize in just one part of the human body and are still learning more and more about the intricacies of the human body. They specialize in one area, but as they specialize in that one area, the rest of the body becomes less and less known to them. Oh, they understand maybe the complexities around the, around the surrounding area. Maybe it's a heart specialist or a heart surgeon, and as they study the heart, they understand that the veins and all the capillaries that go out from the heart impact certain organs and impact certain areas of the body, but they're not a foot specialist. They're not a knee specialist. They study and focus on the, on the heart and learn more and more to truly to be specialized in one part of the body, but there's many. That's why we have many specialists in doctor profession, or pro, or profession today. So many study and focus on one area, and they're still learning and discovering things about the intricacies of our incredible bodies. The body truly is one, but it has many members. It's incredible how God puts it all together, and He does so with a uniqueness. First of all, this morning as we go through Scripture, and we read 15 verses this morning, and sometimes it's hard to get through one, 
in 45 minutes, so we need to get on with this. Amen. Uniqueness of the body. I want us to look this morning at several things as we think of the uniqueness that God gives the body, especially the body of Christ. Remember, the church is the body of Christ. We are the local body of Christ here in Skelmersdale. We are the local body God has established here. Notice, first of all, the diversity of its members, the differences, the uniqueness that God sets within the church. Look at verse number 15 with me, if you would, please. Notice the Bible says, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Think about this for just a moment. What if the big toe looked and said, You know, I am covered all day long in a sweaty, smelly sock and shoe. No one sees me. Matter of fact, everyone wants to hide me. No one wants me to be displayed. I would much rather be the hand. After all, the hand is visible. People don't normally cover their hands. Normally the hands are open to see. I would rather be displayed. I would rather be prominently shown. I don't want to be on the foot any longer. Imagine if the foot or the toe said just that envious of what the fingers do on the piano or what an artist can do with his hands painting a beautiful picture a hand really a hand is amazing in its own right it has eight wrist bones that connect our arm to our physical hand in our hand itself there are five bones in the in the palm 14 and the digits are in the fingers and these two hands when you put them together contain a quarter of all of the bones in our body each hand each fingertip has thousands of nerve endings per square inch the heaviest concentration of those nerve endings are on the fingertips so we can detect whether or not you're touching your tablet or a piece of paper or a piece of wood or your own skin. It is incredible at the complexity that the nerve endings on our fingertip can tell. You can put your hand in your pocket if you have any change and you can with just your fingertips tell if you have 50p or if you have a 5p in your hand or or in your pocket, or whether you're touching a two-pound coin, it's incredible at how much it can decipher and use. The largest space the cortex of our brain are concerned with the hand alone. The hands are rarely still, especially mine. I can make wonderful milkshakes. I'm thankful God gave me this shaky, these shaky hands. Amen. My wife has enjoyed many milkshakes, and I'll just sit there and just, just vibrate, and away it goes. Uh, don't really do that, but I could try. We could try that one time. I keep talking about that. We should actually try. It, where I would work really well. But, uh, you know, our finger joints, they move so many times. It is estimated that the finger joints will move over 25 million times in our lifetime. Incredible. Incredible complexities. The finger joints are, of course, extended and, and, and flexed multitudes of times, and yet our hands rarely get tired. A hand is far more complicated and sophisticated than any machine man has ever made. 
The hands can compensate for even the loss of eyesight by gingerly reading the Braille printed or use the loss of hearing and speech by means of sign language. Incredible at what one can do with a hand. And yet all of it is unique, even down to its fingerprint. Incredible. The hand is truly a marvel. You know, the foot very, may very well be envious of the hand, but truly it is not. The foot has got more sense than that. For the foot to say that because it is not the hand does not belong to the body is truly utter nonsense. It doesn't make sense at all. It of course belongs. It is vital and it is useful in a way in which the hand is not. The foot is a marvel in engineering in and of itself with its 26 bones, 107 ligaments, and 19 muscles. The foot can balance a 200-pound man on one foot for a length of time. As that man walks, each foot bears the weight of that man without losing its form or shape and does so sturdily and keeps it in balance. When that man begins to run or even walk at a moderate pace, that pressure upon that foot is even more, and yet it continues with amazing, seemingly ease. When a man walks or jumps, it holds and absorbs the weight and the stress and the forces that are applied to it and continues to do so, enables that man to continue further. The average man will walk about 65,000 miles in his lifetime and a foot. As humble as it may seem, it is a vital and an important body, or part of the body, a part that truly without it, the body would be crippled, leaving it handicapped in an accomplishment of what that body would be capable of. Verse number 16. And if the eye shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? You know, the ear might look at the eye and say, you know, the ear, eye as an ear, I'm kind of ugly, just sticking out like some type of antenna out the side of the head. Oddly shaped and weirdly disfigured, it seems. I don't have the color and the brilliance and the luminescence that the eye gives. It's said that the eye is the window of the soul. No one has ever said the ear is the window of the soul. It's just sitting there. Why do I have to be an ear? I would much rather be the beauty and the color of the eye. And I, too, is a wonderful glory thing in which God has truly wonderfully designed. It has a five-piece sized cornea that bends light rays into orderly patterns and a pupil that controls the amount of light coming into the eye. 
It has a small lens surrounded by tiny but extremely strong muscles. It has a retina which, although covering less than a square inch, contains 137 million light-sensitive receptor cells. Of these, 130 million are rod-shaped and control black and white vision, and the rest are cone-shaped and control color vision. Messages are passed from the eye through the optic nerve to the brain and back again at the speed of 300 miles per hour. No one of us, not one of us can say we're not fast in some area, amen? We're going quickly back and forth. Each transaction of that back and forth of light takes about two thousandths of a second. Incredible, the eye is. And yet, the ear looks and says, I want to be the eye. May we look at that eye, or ear the ear itself truly is a wonder of creation the outer ear which is attached to the side of the head of course is simply a sound gathering trumpet if we can put it that way there's an inch long canal that leads down to the inner ear that contains that ear uh, that canal contains numerous hairs and th- four thousand wax glands that trap dust and other foreign matter Hearing starts with the eardrum, which picks up the sound from the airwaves. It can pick up a whisper, which will move the drum slightly. Some think only a billionth of a centimeter. On the other side of the eardrum are three little bones that work in harmony to amplify the movements of the drum 22 times. The amplified sounds are passed on to the inner ear, Their sound is transmitted to the cochlear, which contains thousands of nerve cells that look like hair. Each one is tuned to one vibration that identifies waving in a watery fluid. This waving, in turn, generates a minute electrical charge that is fed through the auditory nerve to the brain. This nerve contains over 30,000 circuits. The ear not only enables us to hear, it also contains semicircular canals that control the balance of the body. The ear is a vital component. The ear is vital to us. Thank God for the hearing or for the seeing, but also thank God for the hearing. How foolish would it be for the ear? to look at the eye and say, I'm not the eye. I'm not of the body anymore. I'm disconnecting from the body because I'm not what I want to be. That would be foolishness. That would be utter nonsense. And yet, watch this, this is what the church in Corinth did. The church in Corinth was looking at the different gifts that God was beautifully putting together in this church. And as it watched the different gifts that people were using in the ministry, they said, you know, if I cannot speak a different tongue or a different language or and cannot interpret a different tongue or language, then I don't want to have a part in the church. If I can't be a part of speaking to other languages and other and, uh, uh, 
and to other people groups, then I'm just going to sit here and do absolutely nothing. How ludicrous and crazy would that be? For one to look at another and say, well, if I can't do that, if I can't do I think I should do here that I'm just not going to have any part in that ministry. I'm not going to have any part in the church. Oh, I'll come and I'll sit, but I'm not going to do anything because I don't have the position I want. I want to teach that class. I want to be a part of that. Since I cannot, I'm just going to sit here and sulk. I'm going to disconnect myself from the church, from the body of Christ. How foolish would that be? Paul looked at this as childish and ludicrous in thought that people would look and say i don't want to be a part of that church because i can't have that role that i deem i want paul found it all something of complete and utter foolishness and this is where the church was god placed it god made it to where this church could truly be unique and function as God intended. But it needed a diversity. It needed some uniqueness among the members to blend together so God could truly do what only God can do through a local church. You see, Paul speaks of not only the diversity of its members, but of the needed diversity of its members. Look at verse number 17 with me. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? I love the humor Paul interjects right here. <laughs> he looks and he says, wait a minute. Y'all are wanting to be the eye? He says, what if it was, what if the whole body was just that, just an eye? What the, how would that work? Even Mike Wazowski with his friend Scully and Monsters Incorporated needed some things, amen? Even he needed a green body and some ears and some legs and feet. <laughs> He's almost all eye, but yet he still needed some things. How foolish would it be for us to say, the body just needs the eye? And yet, that's what the church was saying. We want to all be the eye. Or... Paul says, what about a whole ear? <laughs> Have you ever tried to eat through your ear? <laughs> it doesn't work too well. <laughs> you need, yes, the eye. Yes, you need the ear. But to say if the whole body were simply a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear is, of course, foolishness. And Paul truly was interjecting some humor, humor here as he was teaching us that the body is a complex blend in which God so wonderfully puts together. And he teaches us this in verse number 18. Look at it, please, with me. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body. Notice this phrase, please don't miss this. As it hath pleased him. Oh, this is such a wonderful, loving portion of Scripture. Paul is talking about the diversity and the uniqueness that the people make together of the local body of Christ. And Paul says God set. Set like placing. But it's not like placing like as in, oh, I'm just discarding it there. I've got no use for it. I'm just putting it there. 
It's not like, what do I do with this piece of rubbish? I'm just going to throw it over in this corner and I'll get back to it later on. That's not what he's speaking of at all. The Bible says, as it hath pleased him. That word pleased is the word speaking of desire. It is the context of it is feel or have a strong desire for. The context here of his placing or setting something in beauty with finesse. My wife, around Christmas time, loves to set out her snowmen. She's got a collection, and I do mean a collection. I think we have about half of our garage filled with boxes of nothing but snowmen. And all of those come in, and we begin to set them up, and she begins to put them here and there, and she's got certain places that each snowman has to go. She sets it there because it complements its surrounding. It complements where it's supposed to be. She doesn't put the snowman that stands like this right in front of the telly. She puts it at the corner of the telly. You know? And so uh, she, she puts them each and every single area in which complement all the decor in which she's putting around. She sets it at, as it has pleased her. It's like an artist painting a sunset. And as he's painting this sunset, he wants to paint a decorative and a landscape dirt path going up towards the setting sun. If the artist was going to paint that, he would paint that right in the proper setting on the ground surrounded by the beautiful flowers. He wouldn't take that dirt path and put it above the sun, just sitting floating in the sky. And yet, that is the picture in which God gives of setting us putting us exactly like an artist putting that beautiful speck of paint upon upon his masterpiece at work. He sets us there with beauty and finesse. You understand that you are not an ugly wart to the church. You are a beautiful finesse in which God sets in place and says, this is going to beautify the church of God. Well, that's hard for some of us men to understand as we look in the mirror and say, wow, that's, that looks worse. Uh, especially if you're from Scotland, it looks worse and worse and worse. And, uh, but uh, uh, we got to get, Brother, Brother John is, feels left out when I don't make remarks about Scotland. And so I've got to do it. It's written in my work contract. And so it just, it's there. <laughs> absolutely any my pleasure brother uh, i'm just trying to set and beautify and this is what i'm trying to do but you know god does that god god looks and sets you are not a mistake please don't ever let the don't ever let the devil look and say you are a mistake you should not have come to the local church when god leads and guides he wants us to become a part in which he has set us for as a beauty to the local church you say but i'm the big toe you're the beautiful big toe in which god puts does the body not say how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of christ You may not be the hand, you may not be the eye, you may not even be the ear, but God has set you. He has placed you because he has a beautiful artwork that he is building and growing here in his church and he puts you exactly where he desires. 
How incredible it is that God does just that very thing. Every part of our body pleases him. We read just a moment ago, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. Your body is no mistake. That's one of the reasons why evolution is such a hurtful ideology. A false ideology. It's a hurtful lie. Because I am no mistake, you are no mistake. That's why people are tearing at one another today because after all, if we're nothing more than stake of an ape that came from some primordial soup some millions of years ago, you have no purpose, you have no substance, you have no value. But God says you have value. God says he, it pleased him to make our bodies as they are made. It pleased God to make you and to put you into a local body of believers preparing us for the wonderful body that we will one day have as the whole church one day comes together. God is preparing us now for future time and what a wonderful joy it is that we can be a beautiful part of what God has for us. Verse number 19, notice what scripture teaches us. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. Oh, how wonderful it is that God has made us diverse. Thank God we're not all alike. I'm thankful that there's not a bunch of just Justin Williams in this church. It would be perfect. No, I'm just teasing. And uh, it would be boring. It would be truly not diverse at all. We need the different personalities. We need the different roles and the different talents so we can further the gospel of Jesus Christ. God truly knows there's some uniqueness that is needed in the church, and he sets you here. You are no mistake. Secondly, this morning, notice how the body is then to fellowship. Paul teaches now about the fellowship of the body's members. Look, please, at verse number 21, as Paul teaches us that the members, the uniqueness, the diversity of the body of Christ is to be complementary. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. When there is some dust that goes into the eye or an eyelash that comes into the eye, very quickly the eye tells the hand, I need you. I need you to wipe away that dirt. I need you to pull that eyelash that is stuck. The eye can't look at the hand and say, I don't need you. It needs the hand. It needs that ability to be able to be cleansed and, of course, to use its faculties appropriately. 
The head doesn't look at the feet and say, I have no need of you. The head is very thankful for the feet. If you were to step out accidentally from the pavement onto a street and suddenly notice that there's oncoming car and you are directly path, suddenly the feet becomes very necessary. Suddenly it's very necessary for the feet to take one out of that pathway of the oncoming vehicle and get back to the pavement as quickly as possible. And the head looks and says, I'm very thankful for you feet. I'm very thankful that you moved me out of harm's way. It would be foolishness for the head to say, I have no need of the feet. The whole body rejoices when the feet save the head from that situation. They are to complement. Matter of fact, they are to work together. The body of Christ ought to be complementary. It ought to be functioning together. It ought to be a body that complements one another. Whether it's the foot taking the one to the next place the gospel can be forward and handed over, whether it's seeing the need of the gospel of Christ, whether it's hearing the need and the burdens of those who are searching for the truth of Jesus Christ, whatever it might be, the body is a functioning and ought to be a functioning uh, vessel that God can use to further the gospel of Christ. That is the purpose of the gifts. Remember, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is to be the preeminence. He is to be the one that we follow. The whole body needs each and every part. It's to be complementary. And I love this. And as the body complements one another, work together, it gives us an opportunity to esteem one another. Look at verse number 22, please much more those members of the body which seem to be feeble are necessary. There are some parts of the body in which seem to be feeble, which seem not to have a great value. James speaks of one in James chapter 3, verse number 5. When James writes, even so the tongue is a little member. The tongue seems to be a feeble member, seems to be something of little value, but how powerful strength it does control. It is an intricate member of our body. It truly is a mucous membrane surrounded by a complex battery of muscles and nerves complete with taste buds designed to perform complex chemical reactions or actions. It assists, of course, in our chewing and swallowing and even our speech. It is able to adopt a great variety of shapes so that an astounding battery of sounds can be articulated. It is small, but yet mighty. A tongue can soothe a child to sleep. Or it can mobilize men by the millions to march to war. It can whisper sweet love words to one's dear wife or pour out vitriolic gossip, hate, and spite. Is it much to look at? Maybe not. But it is indeed considered an insult 
to use that little feeble member and poke it out at someone in a sigh of defiance or ridicule. It's an important member. It seems little, but it's so vital. You know, God has used feeble men before. Reminded of a man named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, when he began to preach the gospel, was illiterate. Think about that for just a moment. (laughs) The author of many books, D.L. Moody, when he began his ministry, could not read. He was pushy. He was very unpolished and very wrath or, or rash in his approach to others. And yet, God began to use that feeble member to draw men of great learning, wealth, and even power to come to hear him preach the gospel of Christ. Was he much? No. But God can use a feeble member in a powerful way. Whether you think you're that feeble member, that little toe on the foot, or whether you see God as placed as an arm or as a leg, no matter where God has placed you in the body of Christ, no matter how little or feeble that role may seem, God can use that feeble member in a powerful way to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let Satan think it's of no no value. You are of great value to the local church. Paul reminds this church here of how this church esteems, builds one another. It complements, and we ought to truly esteem and complement one another in a powerful way. Paul continues, look at verse number 23, please, with me. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable. Upon, those, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God had tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Paul here is using the illustration of those parts of our body in which one would normally display we would normally display and do display our faces our hands we don't hide these things we let them be shown we would normally put those forward and that would be something in which we would not normally would cover but our uncomely parts those things in which we would those we would cover with proper clothing. And as we cover with proper clothing, it can do what? It can add more grace and it could add form to the body as a whole. It can give beauty to those parts in which may seem to be uncomely. God even has parts of our body that are covered by that of skin. They are giving a natural covering. But yet those internal organs often are called vital organs. You see, one can survive without an arm or even a leg. But you cannot survive without a heart. 
You cannot survive without a stomach or a liver. You must have those things. They are vital organs. They are vitally important to the body. And the Bible teaches us that God puts those comely things out and God allows the uncomely parts to add grace and beauty. God adds them to comfort, uh, to come together to be tempered together. Did you notice what the Bible says there in verse number 24? But God tempered the body together. That word tempered is a wonderful word. It actually means mixing together, but mixing together in a way in which would lead to a successful thing. What are we speaking of? We all have recipes that we like. Whether it's a cake or whether it's uh, uh, chocolate chip cookies or whether it's steak or whatever it might be, we have some recipes that we enjoy. And you know that in order to enjoy that food the way it is to be intended, you must make it and use certain ingredients so it turns out like you want it. If it calls for a teaspoon of salt, you don't put a pound of salt in. That would not make it right. You put certain ingredients in it so it turns out a certain way. My wife and I were married uh, uh, for just a short time, and my wife loved my mother-in-law's, her mom's, of course, chili. And she decided to try to copy her mother's chili. And so she began to mix the ingredients together and put the uh, uh, mincemeat in and begin putting the uh, tomato sauce in and all the different things that go into it, uh, the beans and such to make this chili. Well, she decided she wanted a little bit of spice to it, just a little bit of heat. I'm not a real big fan of heat. My wife can take a little more than I. I'm not a real big fan of it. But she decided just to put a little bit. She's new to cooking this chili, new to cooking in many ways. And she decides to take some crushed red pepper and put it in this chili. Now, a little bit of crushed red pepper is okay. But she didn't put a little crushed red pepper in it. After all, it's just little red pepper, right? It's okay to shake and to shake and to shake. And I don't know exactly how much of the bottle she used, but I do know that the body was this big, and after she was done, there was about this much in it. No, I'm I'm exaggerating just a little bit. It was probably a little bigger than that. Uh, But uh, she put more and more and more crushed red pepper in it. We sat down for dinner. She was so excited. We took one bite, and there was fire that started to ooze out of our nostrils, it started coming, shooting, uh, smoke started pouring out of our ears. Our eyes began to water and our face began to flush with, with redness. Suddenly, we realized this was way too hot. And so my wife decided that, hey, there's, we have some sour cream. Milk cools the tongue. Maybe some sour cream would cool the chili. And so we began putting a little bit of sour cream in it. We tasted it and put a little more sour cream in it. We tasted it again. We put a little more sour cream in it. We tasted it again. We put the rest of the entire packet or the entire bowl of sour cream in it, tasted it and said, 
hello, Pizza Hut. We would like a pizza, please, that night. It didn't work. Why? Because it was not perfected. It wasn't tempered together in a way in which we could use it, in which we could edit, uh, 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 eat it. It was unedible. It was not what was intended. You know, the Bible tells us God mixes or tempers us together perfectly. God mixes personality, strengths, weaknesses together perfectly. How incredible it is that God puts us together exactly where he desires. The right amounts, the right portions, the right design. And those members, as God puts together, begin to work in unison. Look at verse number 25 with me. Aren't you impressed? It's, it's not even noon yet. And I'm already almost to the end of our portion of Scripture. There should have been thank yous, applause there. It should, I, I gave that portion of Scripture. You missed it. It's, it. It doesn't add value now. I'm sorry, you missed it. <laughs> Notice what the Bible says in verse number 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. If you fall off of a ladder and you break your leg, your whole body is going to do what? It's going to embrace and it's going to care for that which is broken, that which is hurt. The whole body enters into that pain. When that pain occurs, you don't just simply get up and begin walking again. Your whole body enters into the care of that which is hurt that which is damaged. So is the church. Church, we ought to be a place, we ought to be a body of Christ that when someone is hurting, the whole body hurts. We ought to be a place in which when one is weeping, we ought to be able to weep with them. When one is struggling, our hearts ought to struggle with them. We ought to be a place in which one, when one member suffers, all the members enter into that suffering with it. We may not be able to fully identify how often do we use that terminology that I understand? I don't think it's necessarily wrong to use it, but so often do we fully understand the difficulties and the suffering that one might enter. We may not be able to fully understand, but we can try to embrace love, care, 
Let that, know, let that member know that there's suffering, that we're praying and we love them. And try to ease and help the suffering of that member. A church ought to be a place in which when one is hurt, the church enters into the suffering with it. It's what God designed. That we care one for another. But just as one may suffer or one may enter into, whether it's a physical ailment or a physical suffering or whether it's a spiritual wound or whether even a a wound in one's heart or soul and enter into that suffering with it. But also there are times in which there's rejoicing. We need to be careful with this. Because if we are prone to follow the mentality of the world, we can become jealous over those moments of rejoicing when one has reason to rejoice in. You know, it's like going to a beautiful waterfall and as you see the landscape and the scenery in which God so wonderfully and beautifully has designed, there are times where as you look at just the majesty of the scenery around, that your heart is so moved, recognizing our great God and designer. Times where your hands just want to clap at the beauty in which God has given. Your eyes might be even moved to tears at the scene in which you are set, seen before you. Your voice may lift up, its, lift up its praise in how wondrous and how incredible our God has created the scene and the beauty that we are beholding. We look at it and the very depth of that beauty truly impacts us and moves us and when God does some wondrous and some beauty in the eyes of a member of the church whether it's someone who's the thumb or whether it's someone who is an elbow or the leg when God wondrous and some moments that the member rejoices in it we ought to enter into that rejoicing for remember we are not at odds or at competition with one another, but rather their rejoicing gives us reason to our rejoicing. Their furtherance in the gospel, their furtherance in the spiritual life, their furtherance in their walk with the Lord is our furtherance in the work of the Lord, is our furtherance in the gospel. Because someone has a great moment of growth that is celebrated is not cause for us to be jealous of, it is rather a reason to rejoice in it because it furthers the whole body. Don't forget that because that's where Satan likes to tempt. He likes to say, well, they got their praise. Why didn't I get mine? And Satan, if we're not careful, will begin to put us at odds with one another instead of rejoicing in that moment in which one is able to rejoice. And we rejoice with them because of how God has furthered the local church. We ought to rejoice with one another when those moments of rejoicing are. Someone gets a new home. Why don't I have a new home? Someone gets a new car. 
Well, bless God, why can't I get a new car? They got a pay raise at church, at work. Why didn't I get a pay raise at work? Don't go to that regression. God's blessed. God's furthered them. Rejoice with them. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Look at verse number 27, we're done. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You know, God has every word perfectly placed for a reason in his word. Can I draw your attention to that word ye? Two words, two two letters, and yet great power in this. That word ye is singular, and yet it's plural. It's saying you, identifying you as you as the individual, and yet you as the group. And he does so, Paul here, in a very emphatic way. He does so in a way in which says, you, speaking individually and collectively. He says, you are the body of Christ. He's speaking to this assembly of believers, this local church, this ecclesia that called out from the world, gathering together to worship Christ. And as they respond to that call to worship as a body of believers, he looks at them and says, you are the body of Christ. Yes, you as a body, yes, you as a whole, but you as an individual, you are a part of the body of Christ and God has particularly placed you there. God has put you there for a reason. God has put you there for a purpose. You are no mistake. Understand this morning that the church in Corinth was dealing with some situations where there were odds and dividing over gifts and over things in which were trivial and childish and Paul was trying to help them understand understand that the body of christ is important every individual is important the whole is important all of the church is important to god you are part of the body of christ now don't let satan deceive you out of it what a wonderful god we have that places us carefully in particular in his local church each and every single one of us are valuable to Christ you are valuable to him you are not a mistake Paul reiterates that over and over again may we truly use the word of God to fight against Satan so many times I hear of people who leave a good Bible preaching church Over a devilish lie, no one cares. It's not true. They may not have expressed it like you anticipated, but God loves you enough that he puts you where God wants you to be. Satan loves to divide. He loves to help us to think that our role is insane. you are valuable and you are set in that picture like the beautiful decorations I've put upon that masterpiece
that I'm painting. You're part of God's masterpiece. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to this local church. Now let's work together for the same common purpose to further Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. May we keep it.